Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Spartan Spotlight. I'm Justin Thind. I'm here with my co-host, Corey Robinson. Today we're going to be recapping the Ohio State game uh, a little bit, and then we're going to be previewing uh, this upcoming matchup against Penn State, where Michigan State will look to get their 10th win of the season. Uh, how are you doing today, Corey? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, definitely ready, probably like most people uh, connected with Michigan State to kind of move past that uh, Ohio State thing and kind of get back to the reality of what we've seen throughout the weeks. Uh, but uh, if they can finish strong and get the seniors out with a win. Yeah, I think uh, last week kind of left some people uh, shell-shocked a little bit because even uh, – so basically the first half went exactly uh, how I thought it would go, uh, except the offense uh, didn't score as many points as I thought they would score. But I did kind of think that uh, CJ Stroud was going to come in there and throw for 400 passing yards in the first half, and he threw for 393. So uh, I I wouldn't say that it went any worse than I expected it would go when um, Ohio State's offense was on the field. But uh, I guess the offense was kind of uh, limited a little bit with Kenneth Walker limping for most of the game. And um, obviously, Jalen Naylor didn't play, uh, even though he traveled and he was close to playing, it sounds like. But uh those two things kind of really limited what they were trying to do on offense and they scored less points than we were kind of thinking, but defensively, uh, that's just exactly what was going to happen to you. And you have those three receivers going against that cornerback room. And uh, even to make matters worse, uh, Angelo Gross and Xavier Henderson probably had their worst games uh, at the same time as Michigan State having their like worst cornerback uh, talent uh, on the field. So it was uh, just uh, all out uh, a debacle that probably won't happen again for years. And uh, that is, uh, I guess, just the best way to look at it is it's just Michigan State didn't have the talent. Ohio State did. And uh, whatever talent Michigan State did have that could have helped on offense uh, was injured for the most part. And then Jaden Reed got hurt on the last kickoff of the um, second quarter. And uh, he was out for the whole second half. So the second half, it was uh, just Peyton Thorne throwing to guys that were not originally starters, uh, plus Trey, Trey Mosley. So basically as bad of a as bad of a talent gap as you could have possibly imagined uh, coming into this game. And it played out as, as you thought it would. Yeah, definitely. And I guess we said when we previewed it, like, I don't think either of us really gave a whole lot of hope going into it just because some things are just obvious where Ohio State, uh, that's just the worst possible matchup this Michigan State team could have with their uh, past defense or lack thereof. And Ohio State's got the best trio of wide receivers in a long time, honestly. And uh, C.J. Stroud, the quarterback, and then you can't just uh, – sell out to it because then they'll kill you with their running game so I mean offensively they did what I expected them to do neither of us really had uh even when we tried to like come up with a scenario that would have Michigan State on top we we really couldn't come up with anything that's that was just the case of uh having a terrible matchup and way too many horses on one side and you saw after the game, even Mel talked about it. He said, we got to recruit to get the depth up and we got to get the talent level and size and speed up here. Like that's not any secret to anybody. He's been saying that since he got here. 
and uh, anybody that's watched them kind of knew that this year it's been great and they're ahead of schedule and you know they could get 10 and 2 if they beat Penn State this weekend but this isn't this was never like a top five talent type of team because they had so many flaws athletically and uh, depth wise because that's where you see a difference like if Ohio State was losing their number two wide receiver their starting left tackle um, their defensive tack starting defensive tackle uh, starting linebacker uh, starting corner like they could withstand that because they had right. the depth and talent behind that where Michigan State you look at what happens you have Jarrett Horst is out then you slide Kevin Jarvis to uh, tackle which is not going great but that's not his fault he's not a he's not a tackle he's just doing it out of necessity because you don't have that depth behind him and then you peel uh, the onion back a little more and Matt Carrick's injured that's who would have stepped in for uh Kevin Jarvis when he slides outside now that's Blake Buter so that just that one right there was a absolute killer to the team down the stretch uh just not having the depth and talent to to go to bat against a team like Ohio State yep and then uh when we used to talk about uh the expectations for the season uh just like uh between ourselves uh I know back when I was uh, feeling the most optimistic uh, possible. And I would say, Corey, talk me out of thinking that this team can't beat every single person except Ohio State if they stay healthy. And you would be like, no, I can't really think of a reason. If if Kenneth Walker is as good as we thought he would be, if, if quarterback plays slightly above competent, if Crouch is good, if they can get um, some decent uh, defensive line play, we were basically saying like the starters of this team are good enough to beat everybody. I know we didn't publicly go on record and predict 10 wins, but privately amongst ourselves, we we just kept thinking this team can beat everybody on the schedule except Ohio State as long as they didn't get injured. And what ended up happening was they did start to get injured and backup corners were playing against Purdue and um, Kenneth Walker has been limping the last few weeks and now both receivers are out and suddenly uh, the games are going a little differently because they were never supposed to have a lot of success while also sustaining injuries. They're just not built that way. They don't have any real talent um, behind a lot of these starters. So even from the beginning, even at our most optimistic uh, stage of viewing this team, the assumption always was, is that their success would be predicated strictly on them not facing injuries, whereas other programs out there could get injuries and still be fine. And like Michigan can have offensive line injuries and, and still succeed. And and Penn State can have um, like a defensive tackle get injured and still hold Ohio State under 150 rush yards two weeks later. And some of these teams can do that. But uh, Michigan State was not in a position to be able to do that, even back when we were viewing this uh, within the most optimistic way. So, again, once those injuries started happening, it was a, a foregone conclusion that this is the way that it was always going to play out. And uh, I guess that's really all that we need to say about last week's game. But um, speaking of... I guess guess before I jump into the next one, 
think it was interesting too because I don't know if you guys remember too. It was uh, the beginning of the season where Mel Tucker was talking to his team and you know he was imploring him. He says, "We got the talent to win. I know that I've been around the game for uh, all of these years, but we don't have the depth to do it." So yeah. I mean, it was almost like foreshadowing to what happened ended up happening because yeah. you saw when they were out there. You know, they beat Michigan, they uh, beat Miami, who's starting to turn it around where you know so they've they've done they're ahead of schedule still uh maybe losing a few of those key cogs that they couldn't afford to will leave a, a little bit sour taste in a few people's mouths but i think most people realistically if you told them eight or nine or i guess nine or ten wins uh, in the regular season pretty much everybody would take that yeah so i mean it that's where they're at where I know Tucker says he doesn't want to play with house money, but I mean, that's because he's a coach and he's got games to play. So he can't say that, but realistically Michigan state's at that point of they're kind of playing with house money. They've proven that they know how to uh, develop the talent and get the most out of it. Now they just need to add that talent level up and especially the depth. Yeah. They, uh, they were supposed to have four and a half wins according to Vegas and they have already doubled it with two more games to go on the schedule. So this is a team that uh, was, was not really expected to even make a bowl game. Technically, if you look at that number and now they're a win against Penn state away from clinching a new year six appearance. So it is uh, not really anything that uh, fans can complain about. And uh, I, I think that if the uh, transfer portal, this last off season had a little better um, cornerback talent, which there's not really any anything that somebody can do about that. It was just a luck of the draw thing. Then um, Michigan State might have beaten Purdue. Still don't think they beat um, Ohio State, but they uh, right now could be sitting at ten and one. Could have gone eleven and one with a win against Penn State, and uh, could have been twelve and one after the bowl game. But uh, that that really just comes down to uh, the best cornerback uh, in the country, Darian Kendrick, uh, that was a transfer. Uh, he went to Georgia uh, from Clemson. Uh, I want to say the second best cornerback was Dreshawn Miller, who went from West Virginia to Auburn. And after that, there was a pretty big drop off, I believe. So it Mel Tucker didn't get the best talent um, out there, I guess, uh, at cornerback. But that's really the kind of talent that entered the portal. So that was a luck of the draw thing, like I said. But uh, th- that's just uh, shows like how close they were to kind of having uh, maybe one extra game or two uh, in-, in the win column here. If uh, just the portal talent and-, and the wave of who's entering just goes a little differently, but they maximize what they could. Um, did their patchwork method here of plugging in holes and uh, have gotten Michigan State to um the playoff rankings just came out today and they're at 12th right now so uh the top 12 teams are for the most part always locked into a new year six bowl um i think a group of five team might not have that privilege if they're at like 11 or 12 ish but uh michigan state being in the top 12 virtually guarantees them a new year six bowl so they just need to win against penn state and um i think it's looking like the fiesta bowl maybe uh based on jerry palm's latest projection so Definitely a major success there. But speaking of needing to win this game against Penn State, it is going to be a huge challenge if both uh, Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor are out and if Kenneth Walker is still limping around. 
And uh, this is, uh, it's a Penn State team that doesn't have a great offense, but you don't need to have a great offense or even a good offense to score on Michigan State. You can uh, probably quite easily score 17 or 21 points, um, even if your quarterback is playing left-handed, to be honest, against this secondary. So they uh, are going to have to still, nonetheless, score a couple of touchdowns, if not three, even if Penn State's offense isn't great. And uh, that's going to be hard to do without um, your two best receivers and, and your running back shaken up. So it's, uh, it's definitely a challenge, uh, to put it lightly. Yeah, that's a, I kind of am interested to see who, who comes out of the tunnel uh, ready to go uh, th- this Saturday out of those guys. Because I think, I mean, you're going to need to keep the, I mean, honestly, Penn State, pass it or does better against the the run as it is so you kind of want to attack them through the air so you definitely want your weapons there but I think uh even if they're not there then maybe you see uh you get creative uh and finally put that two running backs set in the backfield that we've been talking about uh for two years uh and like for me I, I like to see a lot of Elijah Collins too uh I think him and uh, Kenneth Walker could probably wear the Penn State defense down a little bit, but you know, you're still going to have to take shots deep. Um, Keon Coleman, I thought he's been coming on the last couple of weeks and you could kind of see him progressing each week. And then the second half of the uh, Ohio State game, he kind of sort of had his breakout moment there where he had a couple good catches, got the touchdown, uh, he made some really good blocks. I think it was the first play of the second half uh, when Trey Mosley caught that hitch and uh, then re- turned up field and took it down the field a ways. Uh, Keon made a key block that sprung him to turn yep. that into. So uh, you're starting to see what's next, but that's asking a lot for him to kind of hop up on the big stage uh, against Penn State and carry the load of a Jalen Naylor or Reed. So uh, definitely interested to see if even one of those guys can go like that. That's almost a must to me. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it depends uh, just how healed up uh, Reed's injury is because I know his is a lower body injury, so him not being able to get separation um, might be pretty troubling uh, if they put him out there and he's not fully healed up. So for him, I hope he's mostly healed up or else he's just going to be blanketed the whole game. But Naylor with a hand injury, um, as long as he feels confident that he can, he can like kind of close his hand on the ball and catch it, uh, that he should be pretty effective. Uh, when he, when he comes in, as long as he feels like he can catch the ball, because obviously it's uh, not a leg injury. So that should be, uh, separation should be there on those deep balls, but Jaquan. And he's gotta be close too. I mean, he wouldn't have traveled them to Ohio state if there was literally no chance last week. So So there's clearly got to be a chance, an even better chance this week. Because, I yep. mean, uh, what did he do at the Michigan game? That's probably puts him, what, four or five weeks out. So yeah. uh, so he should be pretty close. So I think he he's the one that would be most likely, assuming that uh, Reed did some lower body injury uh, extensively enough, like we're thinking. Yeah, and he can have uh... – he can channel that Cam uh, Chambers energy from uh, 2017, I believe, or 2018, where uh, he went over to State College with a broken hand. They didn't have any of the receivers healthy. 
he uh, had it like taped up in a club and was still catching three or four passes that game. Uh, that was the game where Felton Davis had that last second touchdown, but uh, Michigan State's receiving course seems to be just as banged up as it was that day. Um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, definitely been a, a very physical season for the guys this year. Like yeah. they haven't had the necessarily the, the season enders to, so much, but yeah. like I, I don't ever recall a season that I've seen more guys hands in a cast than this yeah. year. Yeah, everybody's just running around in clubs over there. Um, but they, yeah, but even if Naylor is back, um, still doesn't make it an easy game because Jaquan Brisker is a very, very good safety. I think um, Mel Kuyper has him as his third best safety in the draft right now. And that's going to be a guy that uh, could probably help um, cover Jalen Naylor deep. So you would still ideally like to have somebody else step up on uh on the intermediate or, or short routes on a consistent basis I so, probably be Trey Mosley I guess yeah. like I that's think, what he does well but uh yeah. yeah I think him and but yeah I mean yeah uh, I Penn think, State's uh, gonna have Penn State's gonna have one corner on uh they're gonna have Joey Porter Jr. I'm guessing on Jalen <laughs> Naylor if he plays so that should give the other side receiver um I'm thinking it's not going to be Trey because Trey's going to be in the slot. So I think the outside receiver on the other side. So I'm guessing maybe Keon, he'll get to go up against um, a cornerback that he should have a decent shot at winning battles against, uh, whether it's Tariq Castro Fields or, or one of our other corners. But that is a guy that would probably have the best shot at getting open. So that's kind of the guy that would need to rise up, even if Naylor is playing. Um, but if Naylor's not playing, then uh, Joey Porter Jr. is going to have a pretty decent matchup for him to dominate uh, whoever that one guy is that he's covering. And then you're looking even further down the depth chart for who's going to be having the favorable matchup on the other side for Michigan State. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if we see a surprise like uh, Cade McDonald or something where he could be a good slot guy and you can move uh, Mosley outside if you needed to, or maybe Mm -hmm. senior day uh, we see – CJ Hayes switch back over to wide receiver because I no, mean, clearly, I'm, I'm good on that. He, doesn't, he, he didn't forget how to play the position, but I don't know if you ever fully learned it. But I was gonna say, <laughs> you want Larice Nelson to come back on and dress up for this game? Too? Get a, yeah, so maybe we'll keep him on the sidelines <laughs> at that point. Maybe just throw Jack Tab in a uniform, the <laughs> assistant coach and see if anyone notices. Yeah. He'll truck some people over. I'm sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, so passing game might be a mess. Uh, hopefully they try to, I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind them going with 12 personnel and having yeah. both Malik Carr and Tyler Hunt out there. If, if receiving if the receiving court is thin and uh, that's, maybe that that's what popped in my head too. <laughs> yep. So uh, yeah, I think that'd be a good look for him. I'd like to see, I know you agree, we would like to see Elijah Collins get some carries uh, when uh, when Kenneth Hayward ha- or when uh, <laughs> Kenneth Walker has to be um, subbed out, assuming he's still dealing with his injury and can't mm. uh, handle a heavy workload, as opposed to Jordan Simmons kind of being the primary guy spelling Walker. Uh, maybe, maybe what he showed in his limited snaps against Ohio State has helped him move up uh, the pecking order, hopefully. I guess we'll see there. Yeah, and he's a guy, like, he hasn't got a ton of carries this year, but, like, every time he gets a carry, he looks good, and he picks up uh, 
a, a decent amount of yards, probably more than his blocked. And honestly, that's what you want. Cause I mean, you look at his numbers, he's got seven carries for 68 yards, which is a uh, 9.7 average. So, I mean, it's hard to, hard to say that that doesn't yeah. deserve more carries. And then right. like, if you, uh, did something different unlike the the guy that does the playoffs and actually watch the games like you see the runs and the runs look right they yeah they're similar to what you see from he, kenneth walker yeah. where he's patient he makes right. guys miss he hits the right holes and all right. of that stuff and he waits I for think, his blocking to be yeah. set in front of him instead of just putting his head down and trying to burst through the hole as quickly as possible yeah so like to me i think that's the guy that like even even if Walker's healthy, I mean, obviously you're not taking carries away from the best running back, yeah. but, but I mean, you should feel safe giving uh, Elijah Collins seven or eight carries every game just to, to keep the wear and tear down on him a little bit on Walker I mean, downs. I mean, if Walker is completely healthy, which definitely does not seem to be the case since he was just limping out like every other drive in the Ohio state game. But if he was completely healthy, Forty carries. Um, I, I, yeah, I was gonna say I I would just give him the ball until he just is like, coach, I, I can't I can't move anymore. Um, I I would set whatever the Michigan State single game uh, carries record is. I would look to set that, especially if both of the receivers aren't playing. Um, even if the running game isn't working because Penn State does have a really good run defense, I'm pretty sure Kenneth Walker can average about three yards per carry, even on days he's getting stuffed. So if it takes you four plays to get a first down and just handing it up the middle and there's just a cloud of dust, that might be Penn, that might be Michigan State's uh, best offense here uh, if the receivers are all out. But it's uh, that again, that's not likely that he's going to be healthy just based on how much pain he seemed to be in throughout the Ohio State game and how long this injury has been lingering. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's I agree. I think he got it in the Purdue game, uh, kind. I think it was midway through the Purdue game. He came up lame and he's kind of had it wrapped on and off since then and kind of limping around, uh, which that's where you kind of wish maybe uh, hindsight's twenty twenty and easy to say now, where you wish maybe you could have gotten Eli Collins a little more involved to take a little bit of that pressure off of him just because I think you could have got what you needed to let him sit a couple drives a game. Yeah. But I guess that's... Uh, doesn't matter anymore we're here and uh if he's healthy enough he's got uh a few weeks to heal up before the bowl game so you might as well ride your horse uh one last time in spartan stadium because obviously he's off to the nfl after this year and uh i mean then if we switch it over to defense i think Jahan dotson uh i expect him to have somewhere between uh 10 and 22 catches for Penn State like like I, I don't know that they have a an answer for him to even slow him down but I guess uh the the big key or the difference I guess between him and uh Ohio State was that he's like Ohio State had three John Dotson type of guys where this one there's only one John Dotson at Penn State where the other guys are good but they're not they're not like that insane first round draft pick good like you yeah. saw last weekend. Yeah. And I know I was impressed with uh, their other receiver Parker Washington last yeah. year, but his usage rate isn't as high this year. Um, so 
but that wouldn't surprise me as um, if this was the game that Parker Washington had a hundred yards receiving uh, out of nowhere too, just yeah. because it, it is the Michigan State secondary. So, but yeah, what's, I agree. What's their uh, tight ends look like this year? Because I know historically so, they're pretty good, and yeah, Michigan so, State's not great at defending tight ends. Yeah, so they have um, Bretton Strange, who's their starting tight end, and he's had some drop issues, but he he gets open. He's a good route runner. He can definitely hurt you. Uh, probably, probably better than most tight ends that Michigan State has played this year. Um, I would say. Uh, I don't think he's better than Eric All um, from Michigan, who actually like had I don't know. I think had a hundred receiving yards against Michigan State. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, Penn State fans know about him too because he was the one that took that crossing route um, all the way uh, for that game-winning touchdown. Since Penn State decided to play man. Uh, against crossing routes there when they knew that it'd be a crossing route on third and four, but they, um, yeah. So like, I, I would say he's one of the best tight ends that Michigan state has faced this year, but he's not that Pat Fryermuth or Mike Kosicki that Penn state has had in years past. Yeah. And they have a really, really uh, competent tight end too. And Tio Johnson, um, yeah. who's, who's a good pass catcher too. But uh, I would say that it, it's, he's not as good as past Penn state tight ends in the last four or five years, but uh, he's still one of the better tight ends that would be on Michigan State's schedule this year. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, if you look at it, they actually had a few of them too. Uh, what is the Miami tight end? Yeah, Will was Mallory. pretty good too. Uh, so, so, and the Michigan State helps them out a little bit with their defense. But and then the Maryland, I, I thought the Maryland tight end was really good too. I don't think Maryland necessarily knows how to get out of their own way or use utilize all their weapons, but. He was a good athlete, but uh, yeah, so that it's probably a good thing for Michigan State because they have struggled with tight ends, and Penn State's got such a history of uh, having good tight ends. So maybe they caught him on the right year there, or maybe Michigan State will allow somebody to have a breakout at the tight end position. Uh, yeah. And then I guess too would be does uh, Crouch play at linebacker, or is this a, another Noah Harvey game? Yeah, and what what impact that has overall? But I guess uh, with Harvey against Penn State, I mean, I, I clearly would feel more comfortable with Crouch out there. But Harvey, I think he'll at least be able to stand strong up against the the run that uh, Penn State would like to uh, implement. They don't have a run game. There's, yeah, there's exactly. nothing to defend there. <laughs> the offensive line. Uh, so may, maybe we'll see Panashuk and uh, uh, Drew Beasley go out as seniors and kind of meet up at the quarterback uh, over and over, hopefully. Yeah, that'd be nice for the first time in weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the, yeah, Michigan State's pass rush has completely disappeared the last month or so. Um, as good as they were um, in the middle stretch of the season, I know right after Drew Beasley got hurt, everyone was uh, kind of feeling a little hopeless on, oh, we lost Drew Beasley and we already didn't get pressure on the quarterback. And then Jacob Panashuk just went on a tear. And uh, even the interior guys were getting pressure and Michigan State ended up becoming, um, I think it was, I think they even led the Big Ten in sacks at one point. And then they have just fallen off of a cliff recently. They are still top three, I want to say, in sacks, maybe top two but rarely yeah. any of them are coming in the past three games. Um, and they really needed it. They really needed it against Purdue and Ohio state. 
Yeah, Mar- Maryland, they did pretty good there, but that's that true. because they, they were bringing the house on Maryland. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I kind of just look at the, the three games where they were either close or lost. Yeah. So Michigan was close, Purdue they lost, Ohio State they lost, and they didn't get a pass rush in any of those three games. Yeah, definitely, and that's not to disrespect Maryland, but looking good against them isn't yeah. really uh, really hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's uh, it would be nice if they finally uh, have some sort of pass rush for the first time in weeks. And um, Penn State had some offensive alignment out due to the that huge flu outbreak they had last week, and uh, those guys uh, should be back this week. I think that's what I read today. Um, Sean Clifford is uh, healed from uh, or, or he recovered from the flu. Uh, he uh, was taken out of last week's game early on um, because he uh, was experiencing flu, the flu like symptoms. And uh, it wasn't COVID uh, nobody on the team had COVID, but like, I think 25 people on the team had the regular flu. Uh, Clifford was one of them. So their uh, backup quarterback, uh, freshman Christian Bayou uh, was the one that came in and, uh, looked better than uh, Clifford was looking uh, that game, and they ended up winning twenty-eight to zero uh, without some key players, uh, without uh, some of the guys that played in the game uh, not even practicing uh, throughout the week because of the flu. And they came in there and just dominated Rutgers for the most part, despite hardly any first downs by either team in the first half. Um, but at the end of the day, they got it done and won twenty-eight zero. So it is. Uh, it is not ideal in terms of the health uh, comparison between Michigan State and Penn State right now. I know uh, Penn State lost PJ Mustafer for the year, and he's one of the best defensive tackles uh, in the Big Ten. Um, but it seems like uh, most of their key guys uh, will be there back playing this game as well as Sean Clifford. And uh, if uh, even if Clifford uh, kind of does re-aggravate that uh, injury that he's had throughout the year, that abdominal injury that he picked up in the Iowa game. I have no doubt in the world that Christian Veyu can come in and carve up this secondary as well. Um, if Aiden O'Connell can put up 583 yards uh, on this, on the secondary, uh, Christian Veyu can probably put up 250. So they are going to have their work cut out for them um, on offense or uh, in defending Penn State's offense. But the key is going to be, can Penn, can Michigan State's offense kind of rise above their injuries and also score some points. They won't have to score a ton because Penn State will get their yardage and they'll get to the red zone. And I don't think they'll have the success that Ohio State had in the red zone. So it's not going to be a shootout. But what I'm just saying is Penn State will be able to score a decent amount of points to the point where Michigan State will need to have a good offensive day to win. They're not going to have to score 35, 45 points, but they'll have to score somewhat. And they're not going to be able to win this game seven to three is kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, I think you have to at least I would say you have to at least get 24 to to, to be uh, in the winning column. But that's probably pushing it too. like you probably want to get closer to 30, honestly. Yeah, I, I have I have trouble seeing them get close to 30 if both receivers yeah. are out. But um, I can see I can see 24, 17 uh, kind yeah. of being good enough to to win as a final and, score but... and, and Penn State's had a, quite a few games like that where uh it kind of gets in those slug fest kind of low scoring ones uh I mean not like low low scoring but not not out in the 30s so that's yeah. not not out of the norm for them either so um and then 
I guess that'd be good too because we might see the matchup of uh, two 10-year contract coaches too <laughs> if Mel signs his because we saw James Franklin uh, tonight when we recorded this. He had just signed his 10-year, which I know we talked about a little bit. And overall, like once you let it settle, I think that was a real smart move of Penn State, especially when you look at who all is hiring and looking for a coach this year. And there's only so many really good coaches out there. And I think James Franklin has proven that, you know, he he's earned the 10 year contract and that you need to lock a guy like that up because he's he gotten them, you know, to what is it? Three or four new year, six bowl games and competed. So, I mean, I think that's a good move from them and it might become a, a real battle between uh, Mel and James going forward for the next decade. Yeah, I uh, I think Franklin had Penn State win 11 games three years in a row. And uh, I think uh, that's something that hadn't happened at Penn State since um, the early 90s, I want to say. So definitely um, has a resume worthy of an extension. Um, I would also say uh, the last uh, two years or so, uh, a lot of the blame, in my opinion, falls on him as well. Yeah. Um, mo- most of their losses this year come from them not being able to replace uh, an injured Sean Clifford with um, kind of uh, somebody that you would have ideally liked to have gotten from the portal. Um, like if they had gotten an Anthony Russo or something behind uh, Chris, uh, behind uh, Sean Clifford, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they beat uh, both Iowa and Illinois. I, I would actually say it's a lock that they beat Iowa and Illinois if they had a competent backup quarterback by that point of the season. I know by now um, Christian Bayou has developed and kind of gotten up to speed, but back then they didn't even think that he was good enough to be QB two. Um, so not to not to contradict myself when I said earlier that Christian Bayou could even put up two hundred twenty. Um, on this defense, uh, it was back then he wasn't really in the picture. That's that's why that's a discrepancy. Uh, they had Taquan Roberson playing quarterback, and uh, it was an accomplishment if they were able to snap the ball without having a false start, and it was just a total mess. And um, I guess maybe if you do say, hey, I bet Christian Bayou was good enough to play back then. Why wasn't he? That's also something you could blame uh, Franklin for. But either way, they're playing a completely incompetent quarterback too. Um, which is why Clifford had to play that Illinois game like injured, which is why when he left the Iowa game, they didn't win. And they were close in that Ohio State game. I don't know how injured Sean Clifford was and maybe if a backup could have gotten the job done or if that wasn't really injury related or what the deal was there. That's fine. We, you're always allowed to lose to Ohio State, in my opinion. So yeah. won't fault him there. But even this year, James Franklin could be sitting here with one loss and with a playoff berth if it wasn't because of his own mistake that he made in the off season of not trying to invest in the backup quarterback position. So I would say that he has had unreal amounts of success that um, he deserves uh, lots of credit for. And I think that uh, Michigan state fans um, are very negative towards Franklin. And I, I do think that the resume itself uh, has earned him more respect than, than this fan base gives him. But man, has he also shot himself in the foot recently? And uh, I say that uh, in the next uh, 10 years that these two coaches are uh, probably going to be battling for, um, they're going to have uh, 
Penn State is going to have a, a great shot at having top-tier talent on their sidelines every single time, but I don't know if they're going to have um, the in-game coaching decisions that are always going to reflect the outcome that should come with that talent level. So, again, I agree with you that they shouldn't have gone ahead and uh, conducted a actual coaching search here and decided to move on and not pay Franklin unless you can get Matt rule to sour on the NFL so quickly, which I doubt they were going to, this is, this is definitely the move to go with and uh, his buyout is pretty low. So I guess if they keep having these uh, sort of uh, seasons as this year and last year, then it's not going to be too hard for Penn state to move on. But uh, yeah, so that, that looks like it should be um, out of the way signed that earlier today. So 10 years, 85 million. I think the base salary is seven, uh, 500,000 retention bonus, and then other incentives that would raise it up to eight and a half. And um, uh, it's no, it's no 10 years, 95 million like Mel Tucker is getting. So uh, poverty program over there in state college uh, went cheap here. Um, yeah, no, I'm you're going to say too. I mean, even the, the facilities too, uh, Michigan State's about to get those two, so it is kind of, I think I read, it was on our message board, I believe, maybe Twitter, where someone's like, uh, what world are we in where Michigan State's paying more than Penn State, but I'm pretty sure Mark D'Antonio was also making more than James Franklin when he was here too, so so I don't think it was totally out of the question for our coach to get more, but once you start getting that 10-year 85 and you're still uh, at least $10 million short of Mel Tucker. That, that is a, a, a new wild sign, I think, for Michigan State. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if Michigan State is paying more than Clemson and more than Oklahoma, then uh, I think that alone already uh, makes it a, a little bewildering enough, um, even before you start getting to that second tier of uh, the Penn States of the world um, and all those. And the, the, the best thing too, though, is like Ishby is like, I think he's like 40 or 41. Yeah. So like, he's not like old money. That's like right. trying to see something before yeah. he dies. Like exactly. Th- this is just getting started. So yeah. I think uh, you're going to see some crazy things. Cause I mean, he's not going to just stop at the $32 million donation and, taking on a big chunk of Mel Tucker's uh, proposed contract. You're going to keep seeing he's only going to get richer. (laughs) He's not going to lose money. (laughs) Like his, his goal is to make Michigan state an absolute national power in football and even more so basketball than it already is, which I mean, that's already pretty brand established, but they were, they were talking about, we got decades of it. (laughs) Yeah, they were talking about this topic on the College Football Inquirer podcast, which is uh, Pete Thamel um, and uh, Dan Wetzel and those national guys. And they said that uh, Michigan State essentially in their eyes has gotten their Phil Knight or Boone Pickens, uh, just not guys that are 80 years old. Uh, So they they have a guy that's going to be here donating for a long time, but still donating um, huge lump sums like some of those famous donors. So it is uh, definitely a whole new kind of uh, program dynamic here. And the fact that he's not looking to be hands-on at the same time and make any sort of decisions is just a huge blessing because those guys in those SEC programs and that Texas oil money yeah. and, and all that, they're not like that. And that's that's what Brian Mosalem was saying uh, on his show when he was talking about the contract 
last week. It's that um, uh, actually it was with uh, Matt Sheen on lockdown. And he said, it's a different relationship between Ishbia and Steve St. Andre and Mel Tucker than it is between donors in the SEC and their coaches. And Mel Tucker knew that Mel Tucker mentioned that uh, to Brian Masalam. And that is exactly what the most exciting thing about this is, is that it's not a transactional relationship of here's 85 or here's 95 million Mel. Now I want to see you do this, do this, do that. And I want to call the first 10 plays in this game. There's, it, it's none of that. It's just, we believe in you and we want to keep you here a long time. So here's 95 million and we'll be giving you resources along the way. Yeah. And that's what I heard too. I think we'll probably like, I, I think we probably talk about more privately than publicly, but I'm really excited to see what these uh, plans for the new facilities look like. Uh, I'd imagine those will come out here somewhat soon because like if, if we're just looking at weather and stuff like that and timelines, you're probably looking at spring, early summer that you break ground on that building, which means we're going to start seeing the videos and the, the, uh, the drawings and all of that stuff, the architect of what they're going to put down there. And I think it's going to be far surpassed what we saw in that video uh, last winter of what they originally had planned. I think it's going to be a whole different ball game. And the best news is I think a lot of it is already funded or mostly funded well ahead of schedule. Yeah. I think, uh, their coaching staff or support staff is kind of hinting to recruits that um, spring is when the ground will break. So yeah, you're right. Uh, in these next uh, couple months is when they should start uh, marketing and showing off these plans to the public and generating some hype. And um, maybe we can uh, see a, a cool video rendering kind of how Clemson did it before they had anything actually built where they kind of had digital illustrations of all the cool amenities. So I'm sure. I'm sure their marketing team uh, will definitely get every bit of juice squeezed out of this because Mel Tucker is uh, is all about that. So it'll be exciting to see what happens there. But I guess uh, seems like we're done talking about uh, the Penn State game uh, since we've been talking about <laughs> contracts and the buildings uh, now. So uh, nothing else to add. I'm assuming, Corey. No, I think I think it be come down to health. I think who comes out of this thing. Uh, I think my uh, head's telling me Michigan State, but I think this is going to be a toss-up game uh, regardless. Yeah, I think it, it'll depend on if neither of their two uh, top two receivers are playing, then might might lean Penn State here. But if uh, even one of those guys play, uh, then I'm back to 50-50, and uh, I'll just take uh, a Michigan State team that's coming off a huge loss and has Mel Tucker as their head coach um, to, to pull it off. So we'll kind of see what the injury status is like, who's healthy, and uh, I guess what shape Kenneth Walker's left ankle is in. And uh, we'll kind of go from there. So thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week to recap the game. Uh, I'm Justin. That was my co-host, Corey Robinson, and uh, we'll catch you guys next time.